0: Hello and welcome to Operation Dynamo, your one-stop shop for the news on the pop culture. That we care about, not the stuff in the mainstream. Or that the New York Times enjoys. Uh, Anyway... I'm Abby. I'm Sarah. Just to tell you a little bit about what's on our pop culture radar right now, Uh, right now I am into the Hannah Swenson murder mysteries, or Murder She Baked, if you're a fan of Hallmark Channel original movies, which I absolutely am. I've also been listening to Lucy Dacus' new album, Historian. It's amazing.
1: Fun fact I rode the bus in middle school with Lucy Dacus. And now that she's famous, I tell this to everyone, including Abby.
0: I was very excited. I didn't believe it, actually. Uh, I think I was into a third pop culture thing. Was it? It It is Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. It's Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> yep. I started watching season one last year. I know that season 14 is currently airing, but I have some catching up to do. It's actually really sad. So it's taking me a while. But I'm a huge Patrick Dempsey fan, and more and more he's becoming my least favorite character. Uh, Sandra O. Oh and Ellen Pom- Pompeo? Yes. P- Pompeo? Pompeo,
1: I think. <laughs> I believe you. Um. But yeah, Patrick Dempsey, he does that in Grey's Anatomy. And I feel like you have to make a clear distinction that, like, you're still watching the good Grey's Anatomy.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm on season five.
1: Yeah, you're not in the trash that's on TV right now. I apologize to anyone who is a fan of uh, Shonda Rhimes' shows, but... Let's face it, Grey's isn't what it once was.
0: Well, Meredith and Patrick Dempsey <laughs> definitely shouldn't be together, is my personal opinion. Like, it was cute for a minute, but uh, he hit her engagement ring into a forest with a baseball bat. Spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> alert. There will be spoilers <laughs> on this show. What about you, Sarah?
1: Um, well, I made a list of things. And right now I've been reading a lot of, like, true crime YA novels, which is a very niche genre. Yeah. Like, right now I'm reading Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson, and I really, really Ooh, like it. I'm so excited about it's that. It's very good, but I have to have a lot of self-control, which I usually don't have, because I'm supposed to be reading Charles Dickens's Bleak House. Ah, the which same. Which is, like, a 900-page book that I've only read 200 pages of, so I'm like, you can't read any more of Truly Devious until you find out what happens and who Esther's mom is. Um, I watched Rise on NBC last Ooh. night, the new show with Josh Radner and Damon Gillespie, And the young woman who voiced Moana, whose name I can't pronounce, and I do not want to butcher it because she's incredibly talented and she deserves to have her name correctly
0: pronounced. We'll come back with it on our next episode. Yes.
1: We'll (laughs) fact check that. Um, But that was really good. I cried a lot. Um, Also, I've been watching a lot of Corgi videos. Low-key one Corgi. You'll have to pardon me. I was taking a sip of my Laughing Man coffee. Yes! blend. Um, Abby, would you like to give the backstory on Laughing Man Coffee for those
0: who are uh, unfamiliar? yes. Laughing Man Coffee is a sustainable fair trade brand of coffee. I believe there is a brick and mortar store somewhere in New York City, if I'm not incorrect. But now, I'm holding the box. This is a <laughs> great day. The uh, box has
1: a picture of Hugh Jackman on it.
0: I care about it because I appreciate the sustainable fair trade But also, because I love Hugh Jackman so much, Uh, so I'm really glad about Hugh's blend. I'm also so glad that the K-Cups are recyclable, because K-Cups make up so much garbage in landfills. Like, that's a real thing. The man who invented K-Cups is very upset that he made this thing that people are just Destroying, the, uh, earth destroying the Earth with. So like Hugh Jackman knows what's up. It's also delicious. We're not being sponsored, but at Hugh Jackman, we should be. We
1: are open to uh, paid partnership opportunities.
0: So anyway, for our first episode, we really wanted to talk about something that has really defined <laughs> a lot of our semesters so far. Um, so I'm going to describe how I was introduced to this. Yeah. Um, I went to the movie theater in November. This is a... We're getting the whole backstory. I went to the movie theater in November to go see Thor Ragnarok. Don't know why I was seeing it. Don't really care for superhero movies, but it was great. Uh, But there was... a point of contention. (laughs) There was a commercial or a preview, I guess, for Greatest Showman. That is what this podcast is about. And I was very confused because there was singing. Zac Efron was in a movie. (laughs) Uh, he's apparently been in a lot of movies between Greatest Showman and High School Musical, but I was not aware of that. Sarah very much is.
1: We can discuss this in a future episode, but I have watched all of Zac Efron's movies. And I have a lot to say about it. I did it in five weeks. Um,
0: yeah, but Abby continue. (laughs) Anyway, it just seemed like a lot. So I really didn't want to see it. But then when we got back from break, it was the only thing Sarah was talking about that's not... No, it's true. No, it's very it's, accurate. It's accurate. Um, so once she had given it such rave reviews, I felt like I had to see it at least once. I've seen it twice. Uh, I can't wait for it to come out on DVD so I can watch it every day. What about you, Sarah? Um, well, I
1: can't remember if we've talked about this or if this is just something that I've thought about, but I'm a huge theater fan. Obviously, we've talked about that and Playbill.com is has a very lovely feature where they will list all of the um, upcoming movie musicals that are in any stage of the development process. If it's just like a production company has said that they're going to put forth this project or what have you. I remember my junior year of high school. This is about six years ago. Are you kidding me? On Playbill.com, it was just known as the untitled Hugh Jackman (sighs) movie musical with P.T. Barnum. There was no composer attached to it. (sighs) Michael Gracie, who was the director, his name might have been there, but I didn't have any name recognition for him. So like that was just always something that was in the back of my mind. But then this summer, it really came to my attention because um, in early 2017, I became basically Benj Pasek and Justin Paul's biggest fangirl. Um, again for those who don't know Benj Pasek and Justin Paul are the composers and lyricists who wrote all of the music for The Greatest Showman they wrote the lyrics for La La Land they wrote the music and lyrics for Dear Evan Hansen the 2017 Tony Award winning (laughs) Best Musical Um, they've done a lot of stuff in recent years and they all have this very like contemporary pop feel Um, so knowing about them I saw on their Twitter account they like tweeted out a commercial or as Abby said a preview for the uh, <laughs> film and I was like oh my god this is the coolest thing ever so then basically since like July, August, September of 2017 I've been talking about this movie non-stop to anyone who would listen and I just have wow. to say I'm very thankful to my parents and my family and my friends who put up <laughs> with that because I can't say I would have done the same um, I went and saw it the week it came out I think it was like the day after it was released. Was my- that Christmas? It was December 20th <laughs> <laughs> I think 20th okay. or 22nd it was very specific um my mom and I went to see it together and I have seen it a total of five times in the movie theaters in theaters, in theaters.
0: so many um but, but I would have I would
1: have done that it's just such a fantastic movie and we're gonna talk about like the many reasons why it's so fantastic it's so
0: good to see in theaters if you've missed that opportunity I would recommend going back in time. Like,
1: find, or find a local theater that shows older films, something along those lines. If
0: you're a college student, hijack a lecture hall.
1: I guess, what was your first impression of the movie? Because you said that, like, you were not... I was shook. Okay.
0: I was shook. Uh, we went to the movies like late on a Wednesday night or something, a very weird time. Uh, Side note, we went to a very weird theater that serves food. It was distracting and odd.
1: At the climax of the film, a waiter came in and was like, I have a check for so-and-so, which is just like a very weird thing. I'm assuming if people are listening to this, they've seen the
0: film. So spoiler alert, there's a fire.
1: (laughs) And that's the exact moment when the waiter came in with the check.
0: It was distracting to say the least. Uh, Also, it made me very hungry. I'm also hungry now, so I'm thinking about everything I've ever eaten. However, (laughs) uh, the movie starts with, you're like, you're behind Hugh Jackman. He's kind of in silhouette, allow me to set this scene. And just, the music, as you might guess, because the movie is very factually inaccurate, and it's very inaccurate to the time period you get the sense that you're in another time period but you you're not thinking like oh this is definitely the 1860s
1: i have seen in documentation that people like think the setting is anywhere from like 1850s to 1890s
0: i believe it i was thinking 1890 but anyway uh the first song was just so much something i did not expect Mm -hmm. i've heard it compared a little bit not to Queen, but to, like, the middle part of We Will Rock You, mm-hmm. which I could I could see. It has a similar energy, and yeah. there's kind of, like, the stomping situation, but I instantly thought of the movie The Prestige, because Hugh Jackman is also a performer in that movie, and there are some lighting effects, there are some theaters, it's a very disturbing film, so after the initial shot, I was not reminded of it anymore, um but I just had no idea what we were kind of getting ourselves in for. I mean, I know Sarah knew, but I think I was, I was just shook. I don't know.
1: I feel like I just want to like make a side note here just so people can kind of get to know (laughs) us and um, how we interact with one another. One of my favorite things to do is to see movies with Abby, but movies where I have either read the book that the film is based off of and she has not or I have seen the film before and then I just kind of like tune out halfway through and I just like watch her reaction we've
0: done this a lot recently and it is so much fun uh it's shocking because Sarah will just laugh I'll be in extreme anguish and horror and she will be very amused but I mean it gets fun yeah, it's enjoyable, and then we have great conversations yeah. afterwards. But anyway, like, the first scene of the movie, it's instantly so immersive, and it probably was made more so because we were at the movie theater, but I imagine you'd get the same effect at home. It's like you're drawn in immediately, and then the story transitions so fast from just, like, an opening spectacle into the actual story that the movie wants to tell. So I thought it it's very exciting. It sweeps you off your feet. I love it. <laughs> also Hugh Jackman.
1: I guess, like, my first impression, I feel like it's a very different thing because, like, I knew so much about it going in. Like, obviously, I didn't know the, like, specific plot points and such, but I was, like, familiar with the story. I was familiar with the characters. I was very familiar with the music because the they had released, I guess, three songs from the soundtrack um, back in the fall before the film came out. And then I was listening to the soundtrack basically the day it was released. So I went into the theater having three of the songs memorized, basically.
0: Wild. Um,
1: Hardcore fan here. I
0: now have all of them memorized. Side note. <laughs> and so, like,
1: I feel like I was not necessarily, like, blown away in the same way you were. I mean, obviously I liked it, and I had a very positive reaction because I've seen it five times in theaters. Um, But I think it was just kind of, like, one of those things where – Like, obviously, I had critiques of it, and we'll get into those later, um, because we don't have (laughs) just, like, blind love for this. But it Uh. was, like, (laughs) it was, like, one of the rare times where the movie matched my expectations, because I feel like so often I'll, like, build stuff up in my head, kind of like the last Star Wars, and then it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be.
0: Get wrecked, Star Wars fans!
1: I still liked it. Um... (laughs) But yeah, so it was a pleasant experience in the theater. I really, really
0: enjoyed it. It was so good the second time because I knew what was happening, so I was much less stressed. But there were also so few people in the theater, and I really wish that the theater had been empty because that would have been very fun. I want to learn the dance. For which one? To, uh, what is the one in the middle? This is me. Oh, yeah. I think it would be very fun. There's a bit where Zendaya is dancing and she looks amazing, but she's also very angry at Zac Efron. And she, like, like, does her
1: sassy footstop. There's a little bit of
0: angst, and I love it. Anyway. One thing that I think
1: is also interesting is with this movie, obviously it's been well documented that there's, um, I can't think of the word. Um,
0: Can you describe it?
1: It's like when two things don't meet up. A divide. A divide? Is that the word I'm looking for? I have no idea. What two things don't meet up? The audience um, opinion of the film and oh. the critical opinion of the film.
0: I suppose it was divisive.
1: I was going to say diaspora, but
0: that wasn't the word. That's for sure not. it.
1: Um, and So I think it's really interesting when you tell people, like, oh, you're going to love this movie, and people have, like, kind of a negative attitude, and they're like, no, but then they really, really like it. And there are several people in my life who are refusing to, like, Embrace the film for what it is. Hot nonsense.
0: And watch it. And I'm like, no, but you have to. I think that I feel really strongly about, or not, I just really want to understand what they were doing with this movie is, this is a totally different thing. No, that's fine. But I was thinking of the word anachronistic when you were saying divide. Because this movie, clearly it's not like securely rooted to any specific time period, and the music is extremely modern, the dancing is very modern, and I think there are a lot of things that that could mean, or a lot of reasons why they could have done that, uh, because a lot of, a lot, other musicals and other movies have done a similar thing, where the music is modern, but the setting is, like, the past.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, Move on Rouge is what it gets compared to, but I've never seen Moulin I Rouge. I haven't seen it
0: either. But I just wonder what That could have been four. Mm -hmm. Because it works so well. There's a part of the movie where there's an opera singer who I'm very mad that the actress is not the actual singer. That is ridiculous. There are plenty of people who can sing and also act. And also the actress is billed, like, on the poster? On the
1: DVD? On the the movie poster?
0: On the album cover? But the singer isn't.
1: And also I have a problem, Keala Settle, who sings This Is Me and is just fantastic and everyone is finally appreciating. She's definitely one of
0: the main characters. Like her
1: talent, she is not, not built, built at all. Which is absolutely ridiculous. That is ridiculous. But you can tell that
0: neither of us are mad about that. I'm definitely at not all. mad. But the thing with the opera singer is that they're talking about how she's an like an operatic singer. She's like the Swedish nightingale or whatever. She's English. I don't know. Uh, you know, P.T. Barnum and those fake things. (laughs) But she gets ready to sing, and in the theater I was kind of thinking, like, she can't sing opera. Like, that's not gonna work for this movie. Mm -hmm. And she sings this amazing ballad, and I just, how does that work? Uh, Because it works so well in the movie, and it works so well even though we're talking about her as though she's an opera singer. And she's clearly not. But it's amazing.
1: I feel like, I don't know if this answers the question, but just um, in reading stuff with Michael Gracie and Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, they were kind of talking about how P.T. Barnum, back when he was alive, like the real P.T. Barnum was just such a entrepreneur and so ahead of his time and had such a vision, like a creative vision, that they wanted to try to capture that by making the music sound like it was ahead of its time in the time period.
0: Uh, Also... Uh, P.T. Barnum turns out to be a terrible man. I kind of knew that. Uh, I kind of knew that going into this, and that's another reason I thought I was going to hate the movie. And I feel like that's something that you kind of, I don't want to say you have
1: to defend it, but, like, when people are like, oh, you like that movie, this has happened to me a couple of times, and they're like, but P.T. Barnum was a terrible person, how can you, like, support that? And I'm like, I understand that it's not based off of his life, I feel like it's okay to like a piece of art. That's, like, very, very, very loosely based off of something.
0: Yeah, I think it's not really a movie about P.T. Barnum in the end. Uh, So that's kind of interesting. What I do want to talk about, I'm going to do a transition. Sarah has made notes, and I don't know what order they go in, so I'm just going to say a new (laughs) thing now. Uh, So I did a little research on P.T. Barnum. Because I wanted to know when he got married to his wife, Charity, uh, who is portrayed by Michelle Williams in the movie. She was so underrated. underrated. She was amazing. Michelle Williams is an icon, and we should worship her. I thought she was great. Um, but I was doing a little research, and I found out that P.D. Barnum married Charity when they were both really young. She was older than him, though, similar to Hugh Jackman and his wife, Deborah, anyway, Point of interest. Um, So he got married to Charity, and they were married for a long time. And then she died, uh, as you do. And then P.T. Barnum got remarried. And I was gonna try to be okay with it. I was gonna try (laughs) to be okay with the fact that he wasn't with Charity, his one true love forever. But then I found out that he was like 65 and she was like 20, which made me really sad. And then I realized that it's a very similar age difference between myself and Hugh Jackman. Uh, At Hugh, your coffee is delicious. I, anyway, what else Um, you got there? (laughs) I guess I just, like, this could be a kind of quick thing, but it never
1: gets quick with us because we just talk a lot. But, like, your favorite song, your favorite part of the movie,
0: things like that. Favorite part of the movie, all of Hugh Jackman. (laughs) Pardon me, I'll give a serious (laughs) response. (laughs) I feel like my favorite song changes all the time. A Million Dreams is definitely one of my favorites because it tells a whole story in the space of a song, but also because as one of my housemates uh, pointed out to me, the range of the young boy who is singing for half of the song exactly matches up with my range. And so it is so excellent to sing along with. And then halfway through the song, Hugh Jackman and Michelle Williams are singing. It's a, it's really good. So, that might be it. Like, favorite song and favorite moment? Uh, definitely favorite song. Favorite moment? Who's to say? What is yours? I'm, well, I need to think about it, really.
1: Alright, well, I might, like, transition into several things, but we'll come back to you. Oh. Again, my favorite song changes on a daily basis. Um, but, like I said, I love Zach Efron, so, like, any song he's in, I really enjoy <laughs> But, like, right now I've been listening to The Other Side a lot. So good! Um, it's such a good song. Oh, It's just, like, it really gets me. And, like, my favorite... If I had to pick a, like, single like still image from the film Ooh! I really like when um the young P.T. Barnum is like standing on the steps as Charity is sent off to finishing school and he's holding <gasps> the bolts of fabric and oh, they all so sad. roll down the stairs
0: heartbreaking
1: I love that visual but I also love in the other side when Zac Efron is like I guess we should refer to him by his character's name uh Philip Philip Carlyle Philip
0: Carlyle
1: is um like society being, boy um <laughs> seduced is the wrong word but it's the the right one to mind um pt barnum is trying to get him to join the circus and he like kind of does that like turn and he's like well it's intriguing but to go would cost me greatly and his like eyebrow does that little thing and i'm like (sighs) which then brings me (laughs) which then brings me to another point i wanted to talk about which is the choreography but more specifically the scarfography oh my god The use of scarves in this film. It's excellent. Is beyond words. It's shocking. Like, the other side, I feel like, encapsulates it perfectly. It's so good. Because they're just, like, throwing their scarves. They're throwing their scarves in sync. And, like, but part of me was wondering, like, was it just, like, a case of they couldn't come up with stuff and they, like, needed to do stuff with their hands? (laughs) So they're like, let's play with scarves. I don't even care. It's
0: amazing. But it works,
1: so I'm not that mad about it. What was your favorite moment? Did we get back to that?
0: I have no idea what to choose, so the movie's very good. I feel like the opening song is so good, but then, as I mentioned, Zendaya's mm. Angry Dancing yeah is
1: fantastic. And I feel like that's iconic. Like, that like, little foot stomp is gonna become, like, a meme if it hasn't already. I would like it to be. Oh, um, why don't we make it one? Great. <laughs> Keep your eyes out.
0: It's coming. Um,
1: I guess, like, another thing, we've kind of already talked about it a little bit, But, like, Zach versus Hugh. Hugh. I don't have, like, any talking points on this. I literally wrote in my notes just Zach versus Hugh. Okay,
0: this is a difficult question between the two of us. I would take either, like, to be quite honest. That is a fair response. But my number (laughs) one is Zac Efron. (laughs) Oh, well, my number one is Hugh Jackman for sure. But if Zac Efron knocked on my door, I would not turn him away. Yeah. What does your mom say? I wouldn't kick him out of bed for eating crackers. <laughs> she,
1: if she listens to this, which she probably won't because she doesn't know what a podcast <laughs> is, quite frankly,
0: Aww. Um. she's going to be like, why did you tell someone I said that? It's iconic. Another thing I feel like we need to talk about in this movie is in the song, the other side, there's some very intense choreography centered around taking like 14 shots okay so the song is the length of a song so it's like three and a half minutes i don't know but they take so many shots and obviously i know i know it's a movie i know it's not real alcohol but that it took me out of the moment. You know, I was very, like, immersed in the movie, and then all of a sudden, it was like, suspension of disbelief, over. You would be dead. Well, how many do they take? Because I feel like I they would take four
1: at the end when they're doing the, like, back and forth. I think maybe they take seven. And there's, like, three at the beginning, and then I think they do one at the piano. You would die. Because, like, a standard drink is a (laughs) one-ounce shot. And it's, like, isn't binge drinking if you have, like, five standard drinks in, like, the span of three hours or something? You would be dead. And they just had, like, 14 in three
0: and a half minutes. Uh, my housemate also saw the movie more than once, and she had counted, and I wish I could remember, um... Because it was very... It's very visually striking. Like, it's, like, really well done. But it's also just so much.
1: I also really like when they, like, come in together after... Again, this is a spoiler alert... Like, they're doing oh, the back and sports. forth, and then they do their final shot, and the camera, like, goes up and then down, and it's, like, boom! They're in the circus. They're not in the wow. bar anymore. And they're, like, going, and it's, like, do what I do, and whatever. And then they do this, like, little synchronized thing where they, like, are in their top ooh, hats, yep, yep. and they're, like, hands on yes. their hips,
0: and they're, like, kicking a little bit, and I'm, like, ooh, I really like that. Uh, I've pointed out. This before and I will point out again that Zach Efron doesn't actually do a lot of dancing in this movie. It seems like he does because he's in more than one musical number. I guess he does a lot of choreography on the other side, but he really just does this one leg move a lot of times in a lot of songs. Uh, the
1: one where he like kick like his knees are like together and he like yeah, kicks it's his like legs a down. funky
0: leg situation. Uh, I don't really know what to say about that. But like he gets points because he went so hard on those
1: ropes. Like come on. <laughs>
0: Reference to Rewrite the Stars, I assume.
1: (laughs) For the uninitiated, (laughs) that musical number is Rewrite the Stars, which he sings with Zendaya. Like, I will say, full disclosure, I was never a big fan of Zendaya. But I saw Greatest Showman and Spider-Man Homecoming, like, within a week of each other. She's in both of those films. And I I
0: really like Zendaya now. I had never seen anything that she was in. So this was... I was really excited. I now follow her on Instagram. She's a, she's a great Instagram presence. She has amazing style. She does. I, is she a model? I feel like she could be. I feel like she could be. Uh, we are also both older than Zendaya. Yeah. So we know that now. But anyway, Yeah. do we have, do we have anything else that we want to cover? I, I mean, just, I, I could talk so- for days.
1: I could too. I, the only thing I had on my list was like little moments that you like like very small things that you would only pick up on if you have seen this film multiple times um one of them which i have to say i noticed it the second time i saw it abby noticed it the first time that she saw it and i think it just kind of really illustrated why we were friends um you may know of an oscar nominated actor named timothy chalamet timothy
0: chalamet who i also
1: um, really adore but in the end of greatest showman when hugh jackman is sitting at his daughter's dance recital in the like bottom left hand corner of your screen, there's like just some random extra who looks strikingly like Timothy Chalamet. And when we walked out of the theater, like the second thing Abby said to me was, "Did you see that like random extra that looked so much like Timothy Chalamet?" It's shocking. He he looks just like Timothy Chalamet. And so I really like that. But on like a more serious and grounded note, one of my favorite like just small moments in the film is during Come Alive when all of the um, circus performers are kind of pushed out into the ring before they're ready, and they're, like, oh, nervous yeah. and self-conscious. And, like, you can That's see so the fear. Good. But then the little kids in the audience just kind of smile at them, and then the circus performers, like, smile back, like, Ooh, I want to watch this so me. bad. Like, I have the confidence to be myself. And, like, that just warms my heart because I think it kind of really illustrates one of the larger themes of the film.
0: I have two things I want to say. It's two moments that I thought were a little too much and then one moment or one thing in the movie that I loved. So, one thing way too much. There's a moment at the end. As you know, circuses usually intense. Uh but this circus intense, not oh, intense. I was really confused Like, under a, like a red and white striped the big top tent. But at the end of the movie they've been in a building. But the building burns down, and they don't have enough money because no one trusts P.T. Barnum, as they shouldn't, honestly. (laughs) Uh, But the building is burned down, and they're like, oh no, we can't afford real estate in Manhattan? I think it takes place in New York. It does. (laughs) Uh, Confirmed. But anyway, they kind of all look at each other, and they're like, what if we got a tent?! (laughs) And it was so heavy-handed, it was extremely ridiculous. The second moment that I thought was a little (laughs) bit too much. One thing I was really nervous about was how, uh, I was gonna say aliens, how animals (laughs) were portrayed, because a big problem in the circus industry has always been the treatment of animals, so I was kind of nervous about whether they were just gonna gloss over it or whether that was gonna be portrayed positively in the film. But for the most part, it's not really portrayed in the film. There's, like, a horse and there's, like, an elephant in some of the scenes, but that's kind of it. And I think, debatably, that was probably a good way to go to not really get into it uh, for what they were trying to do with the movie. But anyway, at the end of the movie, P.T. Barnum is going to his daughter's dance recital, and he's, like, very smug, like, oh, I'm a caring father. He freaking shows up at the dance recital riding an elephant. And then he just gets off the elephant, and he just leaves it outside. Is it an impeccably trained elephant? Who's to say? But at P.T. Barnum, that was obscene. I'm sure you can afford a car. Uh, if cars existed. I don't think cars existed. A then. carriage?
1: Because they were always in carriages in the movie. Oh, well, he could get a
0: carriage. Um, you're right. You are right. Uh, but the thing that I really like is that it's like a really strong portrayal of family life you know, there's, like, a rift, there are some problems, but P.T. Barnum and Charity love each other, and they work through it, and they make it work. Um, so
1: I guess we're not gonna go on anymore about The Greatest Show. We're gonna wrap it up. Um, we decided that since we are both, um, on social media and like to partake in social media to Hell some yeah. extent, that we would end each episode with um, I, Sarah, am going to pick a tweet of the week, and Abby is going to do something with Instagram. We don't know if we're going to call it, like, the Insta of the week. We're still working out the cute names. Yeah. Um, but my tweet of the week this week is not a specific tweet, but more just a person that was trending on Twitter when I woke up this morning. And that person is uh, Steve Kornacki of NBC News. Um, He is one of their political correspondents, and last night there was a special election in Pennsylvania for one of the districts. And so he was covering that, and he was, like, on fire doing all sorts of crazy stuff. At one point he had, like, a pen in his mouth, and then he spit it out on live television, and then picked it up off the floor and put it back in his mouth. So for him just being his super passionate self and providing lots of funny tweets for me to read this morning, he is my... Twitter item of the week because he was trending hardcore. Abby, I'm going to turn it over to you.
0: My Instagram of the week is an Instagram account. I don't know who it is, but they've tried to follow me more than once. I'm not going to reject them again. I'll just let them stay in limbo. But I follow them because it's an amazing account. Okay, so it's called Floatus. I don't know why. Uh, but the description of the account is your daily rating of cardboard boxes. I would first like to point out that it isn't daily, but it is a great rating of cardboard boxes. Uh, They then say each will be rated out of five flower emojis, and if they exceed expectations, they will be given a dragon. Just as an example of the kind of content that they're posting, look them up, by the way. It's Flotus. Period. Underscore. F-L-O-T-U-S- Period. Underscore. Very important. Their most recent post is a cart in a grocery store. uh, Like the kind of cart you would get at Home Depot for big objects. And it's piled up with uh, folded cardboard boxes that are flattened. (laughs) I really want to set the scene for you here, but look it up on your own. There's milk in the background. And the caption is, is a box still a box if it cannot hold? Vote now on your phones. And then they've given it two flowers. Now, I thought it was a lovely arrangement of boxes, so I commented, four flowers. Box can be repurposed. They responded, two flowers. I guess on some things, we cannot fold. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> that about wraps it up for <laughs> Operation
1: Dynamo this week. Um, if you want to follow along with us on Twitter, we will very soon have a Twitter account up and running. Um, the handle's probably just going to be Operation Dynamo Podcast or Operation Dynamo. <laughs> we'll figure that out in time for next week. Um, also, feel free to reach out to us via email if you have
0: anything you want to say. Responses? Any suggestions? Yeah. Uh, but we hope you'll join us again. We're very excited about this new venture. Yes, it's a new chapter in our lives. It sure is. So, signing off, I'm Sarah. I'm Abby. Good night and good luck.